continue today in our um, this series on suffering, looking at this topic, kind of setting in front of the church. And again, I think for a long time we've not known what to do with this idea of suffering and you know, how we remember it, what do we say, how do we minister to people, what does God say about it. Um, when, when, when we're going through something, we have questions that we wrestle with, we it's natural to ask why, where is God? Again, we see even people in Scripture that wrestle those things out. People of God, godly people that have these questions um, of, of where is God and, and what's God doing in the midst of this. And so we wanted to look at this topic of, of suffering. Um, and we started a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to continue on here in the next few weeks. But looking at suffering from a biblical, godly perspective, um, week one, we look at the reality of suffering, um, that it's very real. Just look around, some of us have endured suffering, um, and we know firsthand experience about it. Some of us have uh, indirectly been affected by it, with a loved one that has gone through something, and we've watched them go through, we've walked with them through it. And there's a reality in this life, and if you've never really walked through something, you can just turn on the news and, and, and watch things that are happening in the world. But there is a reality in this life to suffering. This key passage, we're going to look at it again, that we're kind of tracking along with something that Jesus said. We can go to the next slide there. Um, this is right before, again, the context of Jesus is right before his arrest and his crucifixion. He's spending time with his disciples. It starts in John 13. Remember, he washes their feet and he talks about what it means to be great until he becomes a servant to them. And he says, this is what it means. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. My kingdom is a kingdom that if you want to be great, you serve. That's what it means. I came to give my life as a servant and I'm encouraging you and I'm asking you to follow my lead and my example to be servant. In John 14, he is giving them the promise of eternity. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. And he's saying some these things, don't let your hearts be troubled. Um, you know, there, there is a real place that I'm preparing for you. And, and then he talks about, in John 15, he talks about his love. And he says, abide in me, abide in my love, that if you forget about love, if you forget that I created you for a relationship, if you forget, again, that this is a loving relationship between me and you, you're going to miss it. And then in John 16, he gives them the reality that the Holy Spirit's going to come and, the, and, and kind of the job description of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, Remember, guys, in this world, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he's giving them these, these words of encouragement kind of as this last kind of sermon to them and ultimately to us to say, I will overcome the world, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to snatch you out of the world. I mean, ultimately, at some point, we will leave this earth, but he's saying, I won't alleviate the trouble that's here. I will be with you in it. I will intervene, and, and ultimately we will talk in a couple of weeks about his redemption and suffering. But you need to know that the what is coming, and little did the disciples know what was really coming that was going to happen to him and ultimately to them. They were all going to be martyred. They were all going to be tortured, minus one. And, and, and John was tortured and then left in, uh, spent his days in a prison island. But all of them were tortured and killed. They were going to need these words from Jesus. They were going to need to hold on to him. He told us that it was coming. And so we are going to fix our eyes on him. And so there is a reality in this life 
to suffering. But when we give our life to Christ, again, He's overcome the world. No matter how hard things get, it's all temporary. It's all temporary, and that's the good news. We talked about how suffering takes on different forms. I'm not going to get into all of that, but uh, you know, we, we know the reality of it. Last week we talked about the causes of suffering. That in suffering, it is natural again to have questions, and that big question, why? And when we're wrestling with that, at times we look for a, a blame point, something or someone to point to hold accountable for the suffering, or at least we look to answer. A lot of times this leads people to blame God Himself. And that big theological wrestle that a lot of us have had or will have or we have no people. If God is all powerful and all good and He could have done something, then why didn't He? Where was He? Why didn't He intervene? Or we try and figure out why we or someone else is going through it. We put our own kind of spin on it and tend to lead us into those places of torment. Did we pray enough? Maybe if I would have prayed more. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. If we would have had enough faith, maybe that would have changed things. Or if we would have prayed the right way, said the right thing. Or maybe that's a sin in our lives that we wrestle with. And we talked about the causes. There is sinful suffering, no doubt. Sometimes our sin causes us to reap consequences and we're told that we reap what we sow. And so there is a reality to sinful suffering. There is also consequences of suffering when we take risks. When someone you know, smokes for many, many years and they get lung cancer, that's somewhat, again, it doesn't make them an evil person. This means that, that now they're having a consequence of something that they did and they took a high risk in, in doing that or they just didn't take care of themselves. And there's a consequential suffering in this life. Also, we, we, we understand that uh, and there's, there's that big one. That's the, 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 the one that we wrestle with the most. The one that has the why question on it the most is mysterious. Just, you know, things that we just don't get. Miscarriage, uh, loss of a child. We heard in Tim and Holly's story. Um, or someone else sins and it causes one of our loved ones to suffer and you know they weren't really doing anything wrong with someone else and there's this big question mark of, of why in mysterious suffering. Things that don't make any earthly sense. Things that we may not ever understand until we get to heaven of what why that happened or what happened. There, there are certain things that no matter how many spins we can put on them, we're not going to have the answers to those questions. It's just mysterious suffering. Because ultimately, all suffering stems from us living in a fallen, broken, and fractured world. When sin entered, this world that was good, that God created, remember He created, He called it good. It was in, it was in rhythm and flow. It was as He intended it to be. And then sin throws that off because he gave man free will. He wasn't going to make men worship him. He wasn't going to force us. God is not a, a dictator, but in, in, within the realms of, of, of his power, he does give us the gift of free will and says, I want you to voluntarily love me. And they had a choice and we had a choice. And again, he did not tempt them. The enemy did not come and tempt them. We get lost in the fruit. 
didn't tempt him just to prove what the temptation was. The temptation was this. You be God of your own life. You make the choice. You become the master of your own faith. You become God and leave God out of it. That's ultimately the temptation. That ultimately is what boils down to all sinful things. If we say, I can do better, I will do this, I'm going to have to eliminate God's mind, I'll become God of my own heart. So that's kind of where we've been tracking. And so with all of this, and we talk about this causes of suffering and the reality of suffering, what did God do about it? Did he just leave us to ourselves to figure it all out and say, well, you made the decision, now figure it out? What did God do about it? And there are some people that feel like maybe God did that, that he just says, now you figure it out on your own. You live in a broken, fallen world. Now, see how well that works out. Just go ahead and live in your When you or someone you love is enduring suffering, again, it is a normal response and process sometimes ask God, why don't you do something? Or why didn't you do something? Have you ever been there? I'm alone. <laughs> I'm all alone here. Thanks for leaving me hanging, you guys. Appreciate that. I've been there. And it goes back to that foundational question of human suffering. If God is good, all-powerful, and could have done something, why didn't he or why doesn't he? Here's the answer to that question. He did do something. He did do something. And that's what we're going to look at today. My desire today is that we will see the heart of God in a new way toward us. As I pray for myself this week and I pray for you this week, that you would see God and see His heart in a profound and new way toward us. That we get a grace-filled and merciful perspective of God like never before as we talk about suffering. That because He loves us, out of His love for us, that we can hear the answers to those questions. God, if you are good and powerful, why don't you do something? In mercy and grace, we'd love to hear His answer. I did to thank you. God, where are you in the middle of this? And to hear Him answer, I have been here, I'm right here, I've been here all along. God, where were you when I, or someone I love, was enduring so much pain and suffering to hear him answer today? I was right there, right beside him. Even though we may not felt him, even though we may not have heard him like we thought we wanted to, even though it felt silent, that today we will see him in a new way that he would say. When someone goes through suffering, one of the absolute worst things that anyone could possibly say to them is, I know how you feel if you don't actually know how they feel. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever been there, it's a... You don't know whether it's a laugh cry or smack the hurt. You know, I mean, you've just been there, right? You know, um, when my mother-in-law passed you, you have well-meaning people through these lines and they... And some will say things, and it's very comforting. Some, and 
you know, we actually ended up, we had a good life that, you know, some of the things that, we, and they mean well, you know, it's not like they're just trying to be um, malicious or weird. Um, it just, it's the reality that people are weird. But it's a horrible thing to say, unless you actually know how to feel. Now, there are some, and we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks, there are some that will be able to look you in the eyes and say, I know how you feel, and, and they do mean it. In the book, Choosing to See, um, Mary Beth Chapman, if you guys know Stephen Chris Chapman, is a, a, a Christian recording artist. I mean, just a guy that's been around a long time. I really admire that guy. His integrity is written a lot of great music. He and his wife adopted, they have three biological children, they adopted three children from China. And they're the middle, the middle child of their biological one day accidentally ran over the youngest adopted girl who was five years old and she died. It's a family that loved God deeply and it was just a horrible accident. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, she wrote this book, Choosing to See. And uh, in there, she talks about well-meaning people when they were there at the church and there's this little white casket and uh, one person came up to her and said, I know exactly, exactly how you feel. My dog was run over by a car recently. And, you know, and she said inside, you know, she said, you know, outside you're just kind of smiling and inside she said, I just, I want to explain. There's no comparison. Why are you saying that? Again, well-meaning things that people don't know. But here's the thing about the mercy of God. Through how God responded to our suffering, we will see if we open up our hearts and we open up our eyes and get a new perspective, but we will see that Jesus, He can look at any of us, no matter what we've gone through, and He is the only one in history that can look at every human being on planet Earth and say, I know how you feel and mean it. We're going to see what God did in suffering. But choosing to see, getting a different perspective to see that God was there. Now, again, I understand it's hard to see at the time. When you're rolling through things and you're in the middle of it, it's very hard to see. But it's getting a perspective that God is using it, and in Him, it isn't wasted. There's nothing in this life that are wasted to those who belong to God. So today, I want to look at that God was there, He is there, and He did do something about it. So again, a biblical perspective, let's go to the Word of God, and let's see what God did about, about sin, about brokenness and suffering. So we're going to look at Isaiah 53. A lot of you are familiar with this passage, written some 700 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah received this prophecy from the Lord about Jesus. This prophecy is about Jesus, about what He would do, about what He would accomplish. It is the good news, it's the gospel kind of put in the middle of this, uh, this major prophetic uh, man in, in, in the Old Testament named Isaiah. Um, a lot of us, we, 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 we read this or we have this in some shape or form during Easter time. But here's what Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Again, he's prophesying about him. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
see Jesus grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground. There's a lot even in that. I mean, there's a big message in that, but I'm not going to get into that today. But he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. In other words, he came when he came to the earth. He did not come flowing in robes. He didn't come down to earth with a crown and say the Messiah is here. He wasn't eight feet tall. He came and humbled himself as a baby. He grew up like us. He drooled like us. He had to learn to walk like us. But he did became fully man. He was still fully God, but he became fully man. He humbled himself. And so he didn't have any outward beauty, I guess, which would attract us to him. He didn't want he didn't want to be drawn, he didn't want people to be drawn to him just by his outward beauty, but for who he was. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And it says that he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and he held him in low esteem. Verse 4, and this is the key, and surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. He bore it. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Humanity saying, you had that coming to you. That's what he's saying. He still gave his life, but he was acquainted with our suffering. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us to peace was on him by his wounds in our field. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. What is he saying there? We like sheep, you can turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sheep like me. We go our own way, and we do our own thing. And he's talking about our tendency is to do our own thing. And if you've ever been around sheep, they can be stubborn. They can be a little ignorant and goofy. And that's why we're called sheep. And I am among you as a sheep. But we tend to, man, man, stubborn, I don't want to, and people, we all like people gone astray. We've done our own thing, and here's God's response to that. So God the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. Pain. Pain. He was oppressed and slipped, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his tears and silence, so he did not open his mouth. So the great shepherd became a king. Step into this reality, into this world, and he himself became the, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So, if you're like most, you've heard this passage many, many times, and you've understood it that it was a prophecy about Jesus dying for the sins of the world, and you would be correct in that. That is a correct prophecy, a correct description of that prophecy. However, as you unpack it, you will see that through what he endured, he took on so much more. All suffering, yes, is linked back to sin, but Jesus, through what he did on the cross, not only took our sins upon himself, but he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. So what does this mean? Let's go to the next slide. And this is not intended to be graphic. This is from 
you know, the picture from the passion of the Christ. And even as brutal as that was, they said that that probably even wasn't as bad as it was for Christ and what he endured. But what, is this, what does it mean that he bore our suffering? More than the physical torment of the torture that he endured, because he endured physical torture like unlike anything any of us can explain. Here's the thing. Spiritually, emotionally, and mentally bore our pain and our suffering. Get your head and your heart around that idea. He took our pain and he bore our suffering. The ache of suffering when you've gone through some that that ache in your heart, the groaning and the mourning of suffering, the questions of suffering, the heartbreak of suffering, the deep grief of suffering, that stick to your stomach response in suffering, the anger of suffering was put on him. I have been around a lot of suffering, um, specifically in my mom's family. My mom um, was 7 out of 12 kids. My dad was 11 out of 12. He might be related. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people, you know. You know you have big families when you go to family unions and you meet new people that you're related to. I mean, wow, I didn't realize that we were second cousins. Man, that's amazing. My mom's family has seen a lot of suffering, and so we've witnessed a lot of suffering. Um, I, I won't get into all the stories, um, but it would absolutely it would amaze you at, at, at the amount of stories uh, that have happened. But one in particular was probably the most dramatic, again, indirectly, how I, what I saw, but, but, but watching um, deep pain and deep grief kind of unfold. Um, my mom's youngest sister, um, her youngest son at the time uh, was six years old, and he was he and his two brothers were being um, babysat by one of my mom's other sisters' daughter and her brother. I know this sounds confusing, but it makes sense in a minute. But uh, so her brother, who was 15, uh, 14 or 15 at the time, came home, and the boys are the, the boys are in the backyard, and he got out a shotgun that he had just received for Christmas, for Christmas time, and he was kind of beeping around and had the shotgun out and was not supposed to pull it out, but in a freak accident, pulled around and, uh, and shot the six-year-old right in the chest and killed him instantly. And I remember where we were. I was 14 at the time. I remember where we were. We were visiting one of my mom's relatives and, uh, and we got that call. And we went from that place right into that grief and that pain. And I remember as a kid, I'll never forget, because it was traumatic for me just to witness grief to that level. We were there, we were with um, my aunt and uncle, um, I think the next night, because we had come into town, and, and just the ache, and the wailing, and the crying, and um, that, you know, you just, there's nothing you can do to console. 
And I watched my uncle, you know, just bear some of that. And going, and I, you know, just again watching the, 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 the grief, the anger, you know, of, of again that, that blame point of why did he have that gun out and what was he thinking and, and, and just rage into grief into just get to your stomach kind of reality that was going on right now. And I'm just watching this. And, and the, the funeral that came in was the most sad funeral that I've ever witnessed of my uncle wanting to hold his son on my son. The grief was unbearable. And I mean, it, it, and it just, I, I can't even describe the feeling. Some of you have endured that. Some of you know exactly whether, again, directly or indirectly, you watched that happen. And as I was thinking about this passage in Isaiah 53 and what Jesus did and how God responded to suffering, that story was brought to my mind, and I felt like the Lord said to me in this preparation, He said, that what you saw, that what you witnessed, my aunt and uncle watching them and the, the grief and the pain and the, you know, just the unspoken agony that you're watching them, he said, that is a part of what Jesus bore for us on the cross. It was more than torture. It was more than just the sins of the world. It says in Isaiah 53 that He bore our suffering. He stepped into our pain and our suffering. That is just amazing to me. That I can't even get my head around that. But He did it. He bore it. That is why when you see the, the, and you think of the anguish that He was wearing, it was more than being physically tortured. That would have been bad enough. But in that moment, the suffering of the world, the sins of the world, the grief, the unbearable pain was heaped upon him. He took that for us. Every sinful suffering, every consequential suffering, every mysterious suffering, he bore them all, stepped into our reality. Suffering that accompanies a miscarriage, a divorce, a broken family, abuse that you've endured it, even the most heinous of crimes, murder, rape, the death of a loved one, the death of a child, infidelity, long-term illness, all of it was laid on him, and he bore it. He bore it for us. Why did he do that? Because he loved us so much. That's why we do this week to week. That's why we come in here and we worship him. And it's more than going through emotion. It's more than just there's a reality. And I know that we, as a church, and we're, we're a big broken mess, but we come in here every day to proclaim his goodness, to see him in a different way, to see him in a new way, to say, God, Thank you. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. And step into our reality, and He bore it on Himself because He loves us. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you will go through, no matter the pain, the suffering, Jesus is the only one in history that is able to say to us, all of us, I know how you feel because He bore it. 
He bore it all. He understands rejection. He understands pain and suffering. He understands grief. And Isaiah 53 gives us a man acquainted with grief, bearing all of it. Jesus, the Savior of the world, acquainted with our suffering. Hebrews calls him this great high priest that knows us completely. I want to look at the text in Hebrews. This is from the Message Bible. It says, now that, we, now that we know what we have, Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. Isn't that cool? We do not have a high priest who is out of touch. He is in touch with the reality of suffering. He is in touch with every emotion that we can bear. He's been through weakness, it says, and testing, experienced it all, all with no sin. In other words, he had no sinful response. And so then it says, let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to do. Take the mercy, accept the help. Other translations, it says that because he is our right practice, we can boldly approach him and say, God, I thank you for Christ have to come to you, that you are my high priest. Something significant back in the Old Testament, remember they needed the priest to go in for them. And when he died, the curtain in the temple was torn to say, You now have access, you all have access to him. And so that we can go right into him and say, I need you, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but you are real, and here's my life. And so he doesn't empathize with us from afar. He displays his compassion by stepping into our suffering with us through the cross. Here's what Peter wrote about him. That's funny. Peter watched this firsthand. He said, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Because of what he did, we have redemption in him. And we're going to have an eternity with him. If we turn from our sins, we put our trust in him. And so he bore our sins and our sorrows without retaliation. He trusted himself in his Father who judges justly. Again, why did he do all that? Because of his love. Remember, that's one of the main things that he wanted to emphasize to his disciples. Yes, you will have trouble. There are some things that are going to be coming that you won't understand. But John 15, tucked right in there, is remain in my love. Remember love. Remember that I'm doing this because I love you. Why did he do it? Let's go to the next passage. His motivation was and is love for us. We understand John 3, 16. I mean, it's that famous passage that we can just hear a million times, but don't lose the significant power of that. God loved the world. He gave us God. God loved you. He gave Jesus. God loves you and so gave you. 
First John 4, 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates His own love for the this while we were still sinners. Holy insults at Him, betraying Him, He still died for us. Because ultimately, there's a misconception when we ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Because the reality is that there is no one that's truly good. And I understand, you know, I'm not trying to say, you know, I know children, there's an innocence on children, but we are all, we all bear the marks of sin we're born into. And so ultimately, there is no one that is good. We've all sinned. We're born into sin. And the problem is, if we don't get this revelation and we think that we're basically good, we won't see that need for a Savior. If we can just be good enough, as humanism teaches us, that we can all just need to be good. The problem is, you look around the world and you think, you know what, we're not doing a very good job of that. We're not good. We understand that, then we understand we need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. If, 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 if it was just a matter of us being good, Jesus would not have needed to come. He would have just, the Bible would have been very short. Just be good. That would be all it said. Open it up, it's one page. Be good. The end. That'd be 1295. It's like kids' books, you know, they don't, they, they don't have much, and they charge you like 15 bucks for them, and it's like, you know, four pages. I think it's a good money off that, man. But we're not good. In all of history, there was only one that was perfect and good. That man's name was Jesus. And there's only one time in history where something bad did happen to someone truly and truly good. And that's when Jesus was just crossed. Jesus paid for our sins and bore our pain and our suffering on the cross. And it's the only time in history where something bad happened to something truly, someone truly good. Some have said this, that God isn't fair. I would agree with that. I would agree that God isn't fair. It wasn't fair that God laid the sins and the brokenness of the world upon Jesus who committed no sin and did not deserve it. But God is just. And so there had to be just punishment. There had to be a, a fitting payment for the crime. And that is why Jesus stepped into our reality and bore it for us. Because of sin, because of brokenness, there, and it says this in Hebrews that because of sin, there needs to be a shedding of blood, just like in the Old Testament where they had daily sacrifice and they would sacrifice animals because something had to die because of the sin. And those were incomplete until Jesus came and they became the complete sacrifice. So it wasn't fair that this perfectly good and just and righteous man who committed no sin would step into our reality and die for us. He was innocent, yet he took on our death penalty. Because we all have sinned, and the payment of that sin is death. You may have heard this analogy. You, know, you ever heard the analogy of the courtroom where we are standing for the judge and we are guilty 
and we understand that because our, of our guilt, of our sin, we are guilty, and we deserve the death penalty. We stand judge. And in 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 the courtroom, walks Jesus Christ and says to the judge, "I have paid." For the price of this person's sin and, and has exonerated us, and all we have to do, we have to again give our lives, repent from our sin, and turn our lives and give our lives to Him. And we've heard that analogy. I've even used that analogy before. But the revelation is greater than that. It's the judge himself that steps back off of the stand, he comes down to us in our reality. He removes his robe and his. And, and, and he puts our, the robe upon us, and he walks out of the courtroom and out into the place of execution, and goes and hangs on a cross for us. It's the judge himself stepping down, walking to the execution site, allowing himself to be crucified brutally. That's salvation. That's redemption. That's the gospel. And he did it because he loves us. Bearing our pain, our sin, and our suffering upon Himself. So, what is our response? Our response and our—it's the same opportunity. Remember, we go back to when sin began, and Adam and Eve made the decision to become God of their own life. And so, God—he's paid the price. He's done it all. The work is finished. It is complete. But then again, we have free will. You can remain God in your own life. Or you can say, I received his sacrifice, I received the payment that he made for me that I richly deserve, and now I will live my life, I will turn, I will forsake my sin, and I will understand it's not working out for me to live my own life, and I want to live your way. We surrender our lives, we repent, and we live for him the rest of our life. Today, if you are wrestling with this idea, you are here, um, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I would say don't don't wait until a more opportune time. This is the greatest opportunity. And I'd also, and that's the gospel message. I would also like to speak to those who are suffering. You've gone through suffering, maybe you're in it. Maybe you are walking alongside a family member who has endured much. No matter what you've gone through, or you're going through, or you will ever go through, Jesus knows how you feel. And I hope through this message today you see that in a clearer way. Just that we look at the cross, we see that He bore our suffering. And now He wants to walk with us through it because He already has. I pray that in a new way we can see Him in the midst of it. But when you go through it, whether you feel Him, sense Him, hear Him, you will know because of the reality of what He did, Jesus, you do know Him after you. Thank you. Walk with me. Help me. And to hear Him answer the questions, I am there. Where were you? I'm right here. Why didn't you do something? I did do something. So let's pray. And then we're going to close with communion. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. Lord, thank you that your response to suffering was to come into our reality and, and, and bear our suffering, the grief, the hurt, the pain, the questions. 
or that you were acquainted with us and that you bore it all on the cross. Lord, help us to not, again, lose the significance of the cross of Christ, the good news of Jesus. To understand what you did there for us and be reminded of that every day. Lord, we hear it a lot, but God, help us not to lose the power and the significance of the cross. That we can get up every day and go, because of the cross, I have eternal life. Because of the cross, my Savior understands me. Because of the cross, I have forgiveness of sins. Because of the cross, I can bear anything because He's walking with you through it. Because of the cross, this life is temporary. God, help us to be reminded of that. I pray, God, for today for those who are suffering, that you would just draw near to them, that you would be close to them. Presence would surround them. They will hear your voice, but I'm with you. Always been here, and I will walk with you through it. In Jesus' name, amen.